Welcome to Just Checking In. I'm Becky Buckman. And I'm Kiana Corliss. Each week, we'll use humor, a little irony, and definitely some self-deprecation to dive into the world of high-tech corporate comms. We'll use our expertise and less-than-serious take on the tech news cycle to bring you the best in the business across comms and media for one-of-a-kind insights and perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Get ready to laugh and maybe even start a tweet thread. This is Just Checking In. Happy New Year, Becky. Happy New Year, Kiana, podcast partner. Yes, it's a, it's a new year. Same podcast, new year. We're back in it. <laughs> I feel like there's been an increase in creativity on out-of-office messages, and I need to up my game because I pinged you about something last week, and you were hitting the slopes and told me all about what you were doing. I said, unless you are in Colorado and you're trying to make get some turns in, I will get back to you on the 4th. <laughs> I went to Florida for a family trip where there's no COVID. Did you know that? When you go to Walmart or the grocery store, nobody wears a mask there. So that was instructive for me. I'll tell you this. It was a fun New Year's being outside. I am excited to be back. Although I've been saying Happy New Year to everyone. And then I was someone sent me the Larry David thing where he talks about how there's like a statue of limitations on how long you can say. Is it like January 5th or 4th? We're hitting up against that right now, I think. I think today or tomorrow, you guys are, you know, so get your Happy New Year's in everyone. I know. And get your, I think my Christmas decorations are still up. So I'm behind on that. I got to do that like today. We're going to talk about a few things before we dive into the episode, but we have a great interview today with Nairi Hordajian, who is a longtime friend of mine, and she's now running comms at Figma, which is a super hot design startup. And I think we were talking about this before, um, that this one is really, you know, the, the topics in this podcast are really pretty focused narrowly on like media relations. This is for the people doing the work on the front lines, right? This is, this is what I call for the real ones, like Mm -hmm, the people mm -hmm. who are, pitching and they're out there and they're landing the stories. This one's for you. We've did this with her back in December. Yes. And first of all, I forget how funny she is. She is so funny. She is hilarious. <laughs> She's yeah. so funny. Serious and hilarious at the same time. She's super smart. Yeah. I would not mess with her. <laughs> I would not mess with Nari. <laughs> Some of the things she talks about. So we talk about sort of the malpractice of PR and, and sort of mm-hmm. a lot of the things that we do day in and day out as a profession that maybe aren't great. Yeah. And I thought she had some really, really good advice that might not have actually seemed as obvious as maybe sometimes some of us think they are. Yeah. And so for those of you who are on the front lines, you're pitching like this one's for you. She was awesome. Although yeah. I have to do, I do have to apologize. My mic hadn't come in yet. So if I sound professional really quiet, mic, yeah, <laughs> you I don't sound, sound like the broadcasting pro you are today. Exactly. So for the first time in my life, I was quiet. I hope you all enjoy it. <laughs> That's never, ever going to happen again. The one other note I'd make about Nairi, one thing to look forward to is I thought she made an excellent point and it sort of has to do with like, you know, marketing comms, people's self-preservation and kind of how you deal internally within your internal organizations. As she says, there is also this phenomenon where inside an organization, often people think they can just go in with no relationship and no experience and just pitch a reporter with no previous skill, you know, or skill set in that in that area. And she's like, listen, if you were in corp dev for a company and you were trying to sell your company to Amazon, would you just call Amazon out of the blue and be like, hey, do you want to buy my company? No, you would not. And and I think that's a really important point because a lot of times we do, you know, this is a job where you, you get a lot of oversight and sometimes even some meddling from higher ups in your work, you know, oh, yeah. and, and learning how to manage that is very important. There's a lot of meddling. Yeah. 
Yeah. One other thing we have to talk about before we jump into Nairi mm-hmm. is Elizabeth Holmes. Fake it till you make it culture. I know. I texted the head of my awesome PR firm, Stephanie Ganibis, uh, at GMK Communications yesterday. And uh, I was like, how do you think she's going to look in orange? And Stephanie texted back, probably pretty good, actually. So <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> She might look good, but I don't think she's going to have a good time in jail. So guilty on four counts, right? Yeah. And then I was talking to someone about this today that she was guilty for the stuff that had to do with defrauding investors, but I guess not patients. But I wonder if it's, look, I'm not a lawyer. I also don't play one on TV, but I wonder if maybe it's harder, like a harder burden for I don't know. I mean, guilty is guilty. So whatever. I'm sure she'll get what she deserves. But at the same time, you think about fake it till you make it. And you're like, well, if you're building a brand new CRM system or new AI technology, there's some harm in faking it till you make it or faking too much. But when you're, you know, dealing with people's health, that's an entirely different level, you know, and I read something, you know, like, should she go to jail or not? I'm like, yeah, I think she should go to jail. Or she's well, and guilty. the other thing, the other side is that we had, we had Elliot Brown on the, sh- on the podcast. Yes. Yes. Uh, a few weeks ago, and he talked about WeWork, and Adam Newman's chilling with yeah. many a dollars yeah. in, I don't know, wherever he is. And, um, you know, he 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 defrauded, in, I mean, mm-hmm. it's hard to say, I guess, did he defraud people? Was he just like kind of a jerk, and you can't go to jail for being a jerk? I don't know. But there's, it's actually yeah. super interesting. That's a whole other, we could do a whole podcast on that. Yes. Yes. He was in the Wall Street Journal yesterday. He's apparently buying up apartment buildings. I mean, he's not in jail. He's out there, you know, doing business. All right. One final thing we have to do is predictions, kind of tech comms branding predictions for 2022. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go? What do you think? I kind of want you to go because I don't know. Okay. My prediction right now is that I will make it through January. Yeah. Yeah. That's my mantra right now. I know this Omicron thing is just, it's yet, yet more uncertainty that we don't want to live with. Um, we can't deal with. I just, one of the, I mean, this is kind of an obvious kind of meh prediction, but I just feel like given our current trends and given how crazy the market is, fewer journalists applying this trade, right? On the tech beat, more and more companies, you know, raising mo- more money more frequently. I do think storytelling is going to become more important. You know what I mean? Like we, again, we talked about how this episode is pretty narrowly focused on media relations, but there's a number of ways for companies to tell their stories and build their brands and for executives to learn how to become better storytellers. And I feel like given all these kind of big dynamics we talk about, whether the market goes up or goes down in 2022, I think the story is going to be even more important than it is now. I agree. And I actually think especially in tech, as long as you're executing, and that's across the board, whether it's product, storytelling, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. To an extent, the market might not matter as much because, you know, a lot of this stuff is here to stay. And so if you're executing it, you know, it's, it's not going to matter as much. Um, And so I do think the execution from our standpoint, the the communications is going to be super, super important. Yes. Um, And so, you know, but again, I'm sticking with my original prediction is that you will make it through January. We will. If it I make it through okay. January, that's a, that will be an accomplishment for, for all of us. I know. All right. Sounds great. Okay. Well, should we dive in? Let's do it. So today on Just Checking In, we are super excited to talk with Nairi Hordajian, who is currently the VP of Communications at design platform startup Figma. Nairi has had a really long and varied communications career, starting with policy comms at the Glover Park Group in Washington, D.C., and then at Uber. 
then at VC Canaan Partners before joining Figma. So Nairi, welcome. Thank you so much. So happy to be here. So listen, we have so much to talk about, many topics on the table, but the first one is a kind of a, an interesting concept that you and I had talked about the other week, I think. And it's something you call the malpractice of PR, which sort of sounds like a soap opera maybe or a TV show. <laughs> what is this and why should communications professionals care about it? Well, where to start? Well, look, the malpractice of PR basically means that there are people out there trying to do PR in ways that work against themselves and actually work against the entire function. So the key thing to know in PR is there are no points for effort. And there actually, you can get demerits for taking effort when it doesn't make sense. Nobody <laughs> cares how many reporters you pinged. It actually doesn't matter. And if they're the wrong reporters and you do it in a way that doesn't adhere to the very well-established rules of engagement, then you're doing yourself and your brand a disservice. I think the problem is that incentives are misaligned. For people who don't necessarily have expertise in this area, they can be a startup founder, it can be a client, you know, they're like, oh, cool. New York Times is on the pitch list? Amazing. New York Times is never going to cover that story. And yet... There is that person pitching the New York Times. And so that's what I call the mal malpractice of PR. You know, it's out there. You can see reporters tweeting their frustration about it every day. And I feel for them. I love this topic so much because I think you nailed it when you said it doesn't just do a disservice to them, but it actually does a disservice to the entire industry and, and all of us. And I, I've always said the good thing is, is if you're good at this and you've got the respect of, of journalists, you actually can break through a lot easier because there's so many bad apples. The flip side of it is, is like the reputation, right? Why do you think there is such a gap between the good and the bad? I feel like this is one of those industries where people are either really freaking good or really freaking bad, and there's just no middle. But like, why do you think that is? Totally agree. Um, for a couple of reasons. One, because it doesn't require a degree like a law degree or you know an md there is this kind of idea that oh anybody can do it it's just something you can just email a reporter you know there's sort of this stereotypical idea of what it means oh let's put out a press release the other phrase that makes my blood boil but you know i think that's one is that people don't realize there's actually expertise and like real nuance and detail to doing this work well so that's one and i think the other is um it's hard it's really hard to do well. And in this environment where we know that the media industry is contracting, startups are proliferating, uh, it becomes even harder. And so there's just this sort of, I think, desperation that leads to really bad, 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 bad outcomes, or at least bad, bad strategies to just kind of blanket the airwaves in ways that don't make sense. The other piece too is, and this is actually a measure for me of whether someone's great at PR or not, not enough people know how to say no to their boss or their client or to say that's a bad idea. I had an agency call me the other day working for one of the companies to whom I'm an advisor. And they said, listen, there's this thing that happened. So we're trying to get a story placed today for tomorrow. I'm laughing already. Yeah. At the story today. The startup is not known, has no relationships. It's not a newsy story. It's not a thing. Should have told the client, that's impossible. I'm not going to burn the chits 
and tarnish your brand just a little bit to try, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to put the big girl pants on and tell you, I'm not going to do that. And that is a better service to you. But let's think about doing something else. So I think that's the other factor. It's kind of, it's like a vicious cycle, right? People are not very experienced, right? There's such a demand for this right now because there's so many tech startups that want to build their brands, too many inexperienced people, and then they don't have the gravitas to say no. I mean, I see this all the time. Totally. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree with this. And I actually think this goes in-house as well. Like, I think that this is a two, like, it's not just the agency to client relationship. Yes. This is the, no. you know, like I'm in-house and, and I've got my own, like, let's say, set of stakeholders, right? And so um, I do think that there's an, an element, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, of like, so much of PR is is actually human relationships and sort of that understanding of building trust. And that's with your, you know, your executives and with, with reporters. And, you know, I don't think we see that in, in this practice, in this field. Not enough. But if you think about almost any other practice or field, you would never go in cold to make strategic asks. Hey, Amazon, I'm ready to sell my company. Interested? <laughs> Would you ever do that cold? No. <laughs> Literally never. And so if you're building BD relationships and corp dev relationships, you should building be building media relationships if it's important to you. It's not press isn't important to every company necessarily or every organization necessarily, but to the ones that it is, you have to treat it like a strategic function that requires lots of you know, conversations before you see any output. Nairi, I want to get some of your thoughts on best practices because we obviously want this to be useful to people. Sure. Like we don't want to annoy reporters and we want comms professionals to understand it. But of course, being an ex-journalist, I want the nitty gritty. So what else makes your blood boil? Like what are you seeing on Twitter and elsewhere where you're just like, you can't even believe it? Uh, sending news under embargo without an agreement to the embargo. So that's one. That's what I mean about the rules of engagement. It's like, here, let me share. That our is news. surprisingly it's under embargo. So common. L louder for the people in the back, please. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh. Here's how this works. You, you know, right. everyone has to agree. This is a mutual. This is a bi-directional conversation. So that's one. That's one that kills me. Um, one is the other is really just going back to people not saying no enough to their internal stakeholders. Hey, you know, that story ran and, you know, that person I talked about in my quote isn't happy about how I characterized them. Um, can you go back to the reporter and ask them to take it out? No, no, I cannot. You know why? Because you said it on the record. And I think that there isn't enough of that. The PR person goes to the reporter and says, hey, can you take that quote out? And they're like, no. And then you've just undone any of the momentum or progress that you've made with the relationship. So just being really clear about how to respect reporters, it's really a question of respect, in my opinion. I think it's interesting because I feel like there we're stuck somewhere between like tiptoeing around reporters and respecting them as people. And I've never heard it said better than what you just said about the like, hey, I want to sell my company interested. Like, I mean, that is such a brilliant way of explaining that to folks. They're pitching people like, hey, I just saw you wrote this story. My person does the same thing. And they're like, yeah, girl, I just wrote that story. Exactly. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, setting aside the fact that, I mean, I would, I'd love for you guys to challenge me on this. No. Cold pitching doesn't work. 
if you don't know the reporter on the other, I mean, show me an example where it does, unless it's like really big public company tied to pop culture, like big, big news, but then why are you cold pitching? But, you know, it, it just doesn't work. Don't even bother. Um, if you have a relationship you want to build, build it and then try to, you know, find a story to work on with that reporter. I mean, yeah, the other thing I talk about too sometimes with the the PR folks that work for our portfolio companies is when you're dealing with tier one media, you should really not be pitching at all, right? Like real reporters want to wanna be pitched knowledge and ideas and sources, and they want to figure out what the story is. You should, I mean, you know, I, I used to bristle when people would tell me, well, I, I would like to tell you, for you to tell this story. I'm like, you don't get to decide that. That's why they pay me. You know, I get exactly. to decide. So I think that's a common, it's because maybe it's so hard to get tier one. Maybe that's why people don't get it. But I think that's with anybody, right? Like nobody wants to be told the idea is like an idea. I, I have found that the best pitching I've done ever, no matter what the tier was, calling the reporter and having a discussion. And like we have a discussion and we sort of come to it together. Or I'm like, hey, what do you think about this? Is this interesting? And then they ask a question. Like it's almost like we came up to it with it together. So if you really have something that you need to land, that's awesome. But you're not going to get it telling them what to to do. And I and I think that goes back to like you know, we both have jobs to do. And so like let's be respectful of that, right? So important because, you know, obviously on the comm side, there's a ton of pressure from stakeholders who get it, stakeholders who don't get it, and you put pressure on yourself. It's it's challenging environment. But think about the reporters. They're in a super competitive environment. Their editors are all over them too. And so I think it's really important to have that empathy and understand that they're they're in touch with all sorts of companies all day long. And you have to just kind of like see them where they are and then find a way. The key thing is the match. It's all about the match. You have to really deeply understand like what a reporter covers, what their interest areas could be. And you have to really spend some time pushing yourself and your organization. Is our story, is is what we having for news or what we're trying to get out there, is it legit interesting? And if it's not, it's okay to a blog post, pitch an op-ed, to find another way. But um, you have to really push to figure out, is is this a press-worthy story? I was, yeah, I mean, that was kind of, you almost answered my next question, which was not, not everything is a great match. Not everything can be matched. Um, and do you think people, I mean, I, I think it sounds like you're a fan of other approaches, but at the same time, we've talked about how you're still really a fan of earned media. Like maybe it, it gets beaten down a little bit too much and it's still really important. So talk to me about that push and pull. Like, yes, you have to have other options, but yes, maybe when you get to a certain size or a certain stature, you know, earned media is still critical. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, because it's earned there is a credibility that earned media brings that owned content never will. And, but owned content also is important. Yes, it's important to tell your own story. You can reach your users better than anybody. You can be really targeted. You have their emails. You know what kind of content they want to consume. But prospects, people you don't even know yet will want your product. You know, there's, the media is a really great way to reach them. And I think the balance is really important and picking the hero bucket for the different moments that you're planning. I think that's spot on. And I I think social media brings like an interesting sort of piece to the puzzle. Paid media sort of gets a little fuzzy. So I, I think there's like 
such an interesting holistic approach that, you know, you can take, we were just, you know, we had print in the economist, which is like so old school and like, you can't, you know, that will always sort of have this higher or, or ground to me. But then I see like some of our social campaigns and the reach they have, there's a time and place for all of that. And I think that's, that's super interesting, but it's PR people were like trained totally. one way and one way only. And so it's hard. One thing I was going to ask you about, Nairi, and I don't know if this maybe um, relates to your time at Uber, I'm just guessing, um, but it could be, you know, at any of your other positions, you know, sometimes things get tense with reporters, right? You know, we see this with lots of big public companies in the news, there's kind of a backlash against big tech in general. What are some tips that you've seen or tactics that you've tried to maintain those relationships through those difficult times? Because I think there's probably a lot of people at some big tech companies going through that right now. Yeah, for sure. I actually liken it to marriage in some ways in that, you know, the arguments, if you get through them in a respectful way, make you stronger on the other side. Uh, I think the key elements to navigating those moments are transparency. Hey, I disagree. I'm having a hard time. I'm going to go to your editor on this. Just tell them before you do it. That's transparent. That's number one. Number two is if it gets really heated, just acknowledge it and say, why don't we take a step back and why don't we just like take a pause and we'll come back and let's like pick this up again in a few hours or tomorrow because that happens too. Lastly, I think credibility is just so important when it comes to these relationships, knowing that what you say is what you're going to do and that there wouldn't be any surprises. And so just trying to stick to that, kind of those three things is is usually what I advise people. But it's hard. I mean, when I think about some of the tussles I've had, you know, they were hard in the moment. I still count those reporters as, you know, you know, close professional friends and continue to work with them. But, you know, it's it's not easy in the moment, but it's part of the job. I also think that that's when like the relationships you built over time, you it matter. Because if you've built a relationship, and there's been trust there, and, you know, on background and or off the record is a beautiful thing sometimes. And, and if you've been transparent, think when things do get tough, it's easier to do those three things. than when like, it's always been sort of a contentious relationship, or there's no relationship there, it's hard to do those things. I think they're always hard, but maybe it's a little bit easier when you like, have something that you've, you know, you've, you've worked through. And that's why I think it's coverage doesn't always matter. I think sometimes it's really just about building the relationship. Definitely. It's one of the most important educational components to doing a comms job at an early stage company is just making sure that your founders understand that this is a long game we're playing here and that I'm going to ask you to do a bunch of meetings. And a lot of those meetings are not going to result in anything for a long time. But then one day, you know, we're going to have the moment that makes sense. We're going to have the right match. And then you're going to be really happy we spent those hours educating this person on what we're up to. I love that. I think that's probably some of the best advice you could give to early stage folks. Right. But it's it, a lot of it is about because these these people that you're working for are, you know, technology experts, engineering experts, financial experts. They're not marketing and PR experts by far. So a lot of the job of the comms professional is to educate and I think sometimes that that gets lost amid like OKRs and KPIs and all that stuff, right? It goes back to what you were saying at the beginning, right? Like everyone just thinks this is like a job you could just do, but it's actually very hard. Yes, very hard. The other thing we kind of haven't 
talked about too is the what we've talked a lot actually about the environment that we're in, right? Like all these fundraising rounds. I mean, the other thing is that we're in for tech, like even though there's a little bit of a backlash against big tech, on the whole, it's kind of a positive environment for tech coverage. So I, I still see a lot of flattering stories. I think, you know, most entrepreneurs are still held up as role models. And I do, you know, as someone who has lived through some cycles before, I do think about the inevitable next cycle and how that's going to change and how the job may be harder. I don't know if either one of you guys are thinking about that, but, you know, it almost seems like the importance of uh, forming these relationships, educating executives and investors is key, you know, because I, I think they especially understand that this market that we're in right now is pretty special and uh, probably won't last forever. I think that's a really good point. It's a really good point. Although, you know, I, I'm sure that our big company brethren would say that it's not a particularly positive environment for them. Yeah, that's well put. That's totally true. That's totally true. There is sort of a David and Goliath thing happening in tech. And, and so it's always, always and, uh, in tech. You know, it's, it's funny because I was at Tableau for a while I was we were David and then at one point I was like I think we are Goliath now you know what I mean like if you're long if you're there long enough it turns and actually speaking of fundraising I think we wanted to also chat with you about all raise can you talk a little bit about that and yeah yeah well I mean if you just you know work long enough in Silicon Valley this is how the through lines come together so Alex Conrad and I worked on the cover story for all raises launch together um a few years back so uh Always was a you know labor of love and passion for a group of investors a couple of years ago, and uh, back in twenty fall of twenty seventeen, it was on the heels of some of the tech lash that had come out in terms of bad behavior from some investors and others, and so a group of women got together and started formulating a plan, an operational plan to launch initiatives that could help move the ball forward for female founders and funders. And um, through a stroke of luck that included my uh, the GP at my firm who was involved, Maha Ibrahim, I uh, became a member of that initial cabal. And, uh, you know, just was such a joyous and challenging and rewarding experience to be part of. And it's, you know, always has made tremendous strides over the past couple of years, but there's so much more work to do. You've seen the news as well as I have about how dollars are not flowing to female founders as much as to male founders in this environment. And so last week, actually, we announced that after nearly three-year tenure, our founding CEO, uh, Pam Koska is stepping back into the operator ranks herself, and we're doing an open in the sunlight search for our next CEO. And one of the goals for the next, you know, phase of all raise is to really focus on this double helix strand of founders and funders, with even more emphasis on the founders. I love that. You know, I find myself thinking about this a lot, like having worked at now a couple of companies that that are male founded and, you know, you, you put your male founders up there. And I think we do a really good job of trying to be thoughtful about giving voice to more of our female engineers and so on and so forth. But how much do you like really think about, you know, is, is that something that is, is sort of important for our function to do is to like really make sure that the female voices are out there since we're the ones that are like, actually pitching folks out? Like, do we have a responsibility there? Yes, absolutely. I mean, one of the things I learned, you know, at some point in school is that 
women only raise their hands when they're 150% sure of the answer. That applies here because they may not come forward to the comms team or the CEO and say, hey, I'd love to be out there speaking on our company's behalf. You know, maybe because they feel like they don't have the toolkit to be a great presenter. Okay, well, that's navigable, right? Like that is how a team can support. And so I absolutely think about that, you know, working with female-focused causes has been part of my career long before I joined Silicon Valley. And so uh, it's just kind of ingrained in, in who I am and how I work. It's amazing. One of the other things we can do in addition to trying to find women as um, spokespeople for press is, you know, everybody's got a user conference, every, you know, a battery we put on events, you guys all, you know, probably do events as well. And I mean, it is nice that the age of the all male panel seems to be over, you know, I mean, that just doesn't happen anymore. And that's like, that's something that was still very common three or four years ago, I feel like. Totally. And now, you know, there really has become like, there's a stigma associated with that. So if you sign on as a speaker in one of those panels, you know, people are going to look at you a little bit differently than they would have a few years ago. And so um, it's just important for all spokespeople and all conference organizers to, to bear in mind. It's changed a lot, which is great. Well, and report instead of writing about the panel's content, reporters write about the fact that there were, you know, no under women or underrepresented yeah. folks on the panel, which is yeah. obviously not what you want. So, yeah. well, anything else, Nairi? Um, just a couple PSAs. So one is, no, no, we don't get to read the story before it's published. So don't ask louder because the answer louder. is louder. So that's one. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? Really? That. <laughs> that's a big one I, t- I always tell people when they ask I go no 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 this is a real reporter we can't see the story <laughs> it always boggles my mind though when the comms teams of customers or partners are like are we going to get to see the story and I'm like you are in comms you know we're not going to come on now I know that's what I'm saying. I know. It's just, it's just more practice. Y'all need insurance. Malpractice. Exactly. There should be, I was just going <laughs> to say, we need malpractice insurance for this, you know, because it's actually hurting. Yeah. Us. Yeah. Um, so that's one PSA. It does. Yeah. The other PSA is, you know, we just come at this a few times already, but 50 to 100 person press list serves no one for like for a launch, for an announcement moment. Just throw it in the garbage. Three to five, maybe. You're lucky you might get one. Okay, so that's just for everybody out there. Just the era of blasting press releases is over. I don't know if it ever existed, but it's definitely over. It's been long over. So just don't even put out the press release. That's my last PSA. Don't do it. Unless you're a public company and you have to, it doesn't drive any outcomes. If you have a story you want to tell on your own channels, tell it on your own channels. But if you think that a press release is going to be good for SEO, find SEO strategy that doesn't involve paying money and that gives you a format in which to tell a story that's not so artificially formal. Um, I think there are people who still think that press releases drive press and they absolutely do not. So that's my last PSA. Amen. I would like to put out a petition to like kill the press release. I actually hate press releases. I'm with you. I mean, they're a necessary evil, but they're yeah deployed far too frequently. Hundred percent. I I also think that sometimes people use the phrase press release to talk about like a pressworthy moment, and you know I think that's just an education thing that totally. we need to get to. Totally, it's not the same. 
I also, I gave Kiana some crap for referring to San Francisco as San Fran in our last taping. Are we going to bring this up at every... We are. I'm going to bring it up every time because you're really a Silicon Valley carpetbagger. But that reminds me, I'm just totally getting you, but it reminds me of this PR. I also talked to a lot of people who refer to a press release as the PR. Oh, it drives me insane. They say, "Are you? is the PR done? Can you get the PR? I think that's like San Fran. Uh, to me, that's in the same bucket. Oh, that's maybe the lowest thing you've ever said to me, ever. That was, it was low, and then you, you <laughs> did that? No, no, no. Okay, I don't mean to put it in the same category, but. I, you know what? I have been coming to SF for like 15 years, and no one had ever said anything to me. You're my only real friend. No one had ever told me, hey, loser, no one calls it San Fran. <laughs> See? I know, but I mispronounced oh, so Nairi's name for like go. three years too, so it's she never okay. told me either. So we go. <laughs> You're my only true friend. Um, well, this is amazing. This was so great. Thank you so much for joining us. This was so fun. We got to have you on again. Just come whenever you want. <laughs> Thank you. This was a blast. I would do it anytime. I can get amazing. on the soapbox all amazing. day long. <laughs> thank you guys awesome. all right thanks nairi thanks for listening to just checking in follow us at at kiana corliss and at rebecca buckman just checking in is a studio pod media production our producer is Teresa buchanan and our show coordinators are nicole genova and alex karkos 